0: Hey everybody, Steve Fredland here once again with the Rec Poker Podcast. As always, sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. And today we've got a couple of things uh, to share with you. One is an interview that I did with Emmanuel Evigan. Uh, Emmanuel is a, uh, a really cool story. He just won the Running Aces Pot of Gold Tournament, it was a $290, $290 buy in. Uh, and he won it for $29,000, and what's cool about his story is that he got in through a free roll. He played Running Aces free roll, uh, $10 he added on to get a couple of additional chips, came in late, uh, entered with seven big blinds, ran it up, won the seat, and then he ended up uh, being one of the chip leaders going into day two of the main event and ended up winning the main event, and it's a really cool story, so I thought it would inspire Uh, a lot of you recreational players out there so I'm going to share that interview that I did with Emmanuel and then at the end of this we're going to then uh, share another discussion that we had with our Monday night community group uh, where we talk about different hands and uh, specifically we're going to talk about a hand uh, an ace king hand and then we're going to talk a bit about playing pocket tens so I hope you enjoy this show. All right, everybody. Well, I am here as promised with Emmanuel Evigan, who is the winner of the Pot of Gold tournament at Running Aces this March, and it's a really cool story. And I was talking with E uh, at the table, and we thought this would be a good interview because it's it's a pretty cool story. So, uh, first of all, Emmanuel, just congratulations, man! Publicly, what a what a huge victory.
1: Thank you, man. I really really appreciate it, man. I, I we're tired for this moment, you know. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that, and, um, uh,
0: but before we get into the, the tournament, talk a little bit about. You said you've been working hard. How how has that been looking?
1: Uh, well, lately I've been actually studying a lot of uh, Jonathan Little stuff. Um, yep. you know, just like I I had signed up for his uh for the free you know, seven day trial, but it expired. <laughs> so now I'm actually gonna go ahead and buy the course because it's only be like three hundred bucks, I think, for like three years or something like that. But I've just been you know watching a lot of videos and. You know, learning about minimum defense frequencies and you know hand ranges and just a lot of stuff that I was unaware of before. I mean, I knew some of the concept stuff, some of the concepts, but he breaks it more in depth. And uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I just uh been trying to you know learn as much as I can because I believe poker is more skill than luck. I mean, you know, obviously there's a luck factor, but there's a reason why you see the top guy staying on top. You know, so I was like, I want to learn as much as I can. And I used to be a part of an of a online poker group called Online Poker Syndicate. And we used to do studies, like we would do hand reviews. Like I used to play a lot online. I have like probably 15K in earnings on there, which isn't much, but I play micros. You know? yeah. So, so it's, it's decent. We would like, like watch videos. We'd always go back and review the videos and, you know, go over spots. Like, oh, I could have did this or I could have raised this much or I could have did that. But uh, we haven't really got together in a couple of years. I don't really know why. We just kind of, you know, everyone just kind of just kind of drifted apart. So yeah, I kind of want to get back to another stage
0: That's cool. Yeah, you're yeah. always welcome to join us. We have a discussion group that we do on Monday nights too. But it's I just think it's so valuable to have those groups where you can actually bounce ideas off each other. Like you mentioned, the Jonathan Little training and a lot of trainings that are out there are so good. Uh, they're they're usually sort yeah. of one-way communications. They kind of break it down and help you learn some stuff and there's a ton of value in that. But like you're saying, there's also value exactly. in, in having a group where you can actually go back and forth and inter, you know interact and that sort of
1: thing so so that's awesome dude. exactly that's exactly cool. yeah we would use team, we would use like team viewer and skype yeah. and then also hold on manager and we would you know replay as the you know the so like someone had a big sport in the group there's a couple of guys that had like 30k 50k stuff like that we would you know go back and watch the whole the whole tournament and then go over spots, you know, like, oh, I would have did this, or I would have raised this much, or I would do this. And you could have checked there. Or you could have, you know, raised that spot. Then we would learn off each other, you know? Yeah. That, so it there, there was, it was actually – yeah, it was uh, – I don't know if you heard a four-to-one dog. He's pretty huge in an online poker. No. There was a couple guys, there was a couple guys from his group, and, yeah, it, it was pretty solid, man. I, I, I don't know why we kind of drifted apart, but. Yeah. But yeah, I would definitely want to be interested in joining your groups too. So I definitely think that's a good way to learn off of other people, you know, for sure. Um, yeah. Having you know,
0: Yeah. Especially, I yeah. think, I think that's my encouragement always, to anybody. If you really want to learn the game, you know, get some formal training if that works for you, but also just that interactive, have a group of people. Uh, the key I think to that whole thing mm-hmm. is just being completely transparent and not pretending you're better than you are or, you know, asking those questions that you yeah. have, and not not being afraid to look dumb in front of your your peers, because I think that's how we all learn. So that's exactly.
1: that's awesome. Dude. Exactly. There's no there's no question it's a stupid question. You know, as long right. as you're willing to learn and willing to put in the work, you know anybody can succeed in the poker. That's what attracted me to poker. You know, I'm not very good at sports. I can't rap. <laughs> I can't sing. I'm not an actor. <laughs> you know what I mean? But right, I can play cards. You know what I mean? And anybody can play cards. You see people in wheelchairs you know, winning big events. So yeah. that's, that's what attracted me to this game. You know, I, you know, it's like anyone can be successful if you're willing to put in the work and the dedication, you know? yeah, And you, and, and you can handle the thing.
0: Yeah, and you, you kind of mentioned the, the luck for a skill thing. I think the way that I think about it is for any given hand, for any given tournament, uh, you know, luck is a pretty big factor. But over the long long term, it's all about making the right decisions. And that's where the skill comes in. So uh, I think, you know, like, like exactly. what you're doing is you continue to try to get better, continue to always make better and better and better decisions and ultimately you become more consistent as a winner but i think what's cool about the game is that on any given day anybody can win uh which is kind of a exactly. combination of things so let's talk a little bit about your experience now at the pot of gold because i, I love this thing that started on a monday night uh running aces every yep. monday night has a free roll uh which you can you can enter yep. the tournament for like no cost you can add on a little bit uh, but it's basically just kind of yep. a a way for anybody to play tournament poker. So talk a little bit about uh, your free roll. How much did you add on for, what did that look like on the night where you won the uh, ticket to play the main event?
1: Okay. Well, it was kind of funny because like my girl doesn't get off work. We, we share a vehicle currently. Um, I'm going to be buying a new vehicle, obviously, but we're, <laughs> we share <a> vehicles, and, <laughs> and so she doesn't get off work until 445. And so, and she works, she's a school teacher. She works in South Minneapolis. So I I had to race to pick her up, kind of get to the free roll. And so I got there about 545 and I was thinking I was okay. Well, it ended up being an hour late. So I was like, oh, you know, I only had like 20, 25 bucks on me. (laughs) So I was like, like, well, I'm going to get $6 to go get some fried rice because I get the discount from the club rewards and everything. And I was like, oh, and then I'll get, uh, I, I bet like one hand on back ride or something. And uh, won an extra five bucks, so we had twenty dollars. So I was like, (laughs) so we had about twenty something dollars. I think it was about twenty four dollars, exactly what I had. So I gave my girl twelve dollars, so she could do one add on and the buy in, and then I did one add on and the buy in, and we ended up waiting like almost a whole hour. It was almost seven o'clock. So I almost wanted to go back up there to ask him, can I get my 20 something dollars back? <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm just, thinking like, well, I'm only going to have five or six big lines now, you
2: know?
0: Just to interject there, everybody. So uh, the tournament starts at six, six o'clock. And I know a lot of people that play the free roll get there like four thirty. So, So you, know, you, you know, right. you, your girl getting there at at five you're not getting until seven o'clock. It's a hyper, hyper turbo structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get 2,500 yeah. starting chips and your are you're at 5,000, you get 2,000 so actually,
1: you get 2,000 or
0: 2,000, so you know you're starting with <laughs> yeah. 7,000 chips. And by the time you get in there, the blinds are probably 500, a thousand. You probably do have about seven bigs by the time you're getting there. Just to, just to kind of lay the land for everybody that's not familiar with the, this hyper turbo free roll. So you're, you're getting in an hour late, you know, 200 and some people probably, and you have seven big blinds.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay, all right. And uh, it was actually, it was actually 214 people. Exactly. Cause I remember. <laughs> so, yep. all and, right. and so, and so finally I get a seat, I sit down first hand. I get, I get a six off suit. I'm under the gun. It's not a spot that I normally would take, but right. because I only had like seven big blinds, the blinds are 500,000. I yep. sat down with 7,000 and there's an 80. So like, well, I think I have to shove there with any ace. So I just shoot, I shipped it. And the guy in the small blind calls with pocket fives. The flop was clean for him. And then it turns an ace. Nice. So I double up. Yep. And I just never look back after that. Next thing you know, I'm at the final table. I'm like asking everyone, like, hey, you guys want to chop? A couple of people didn't want to chop. So we just ended up battling it out. It actually got down to me and Chris, the tournament director. Yep. <laughs> we were heads up. And I offered him. I was like, hey, Chris, I'll give you an extra 50 Because I had way more chips than him. So like, I'll give you an extra $50 if you just let me take, you know, first place. Cause we were all guaranteed a seat at seven-handed, so now we're right. playing for the money. It was like eight hundred and fourteen dollars up top, so I offered him fifty dollars out of that t- towards second place, and then we chopped it. He didn't want to do it, and then we played heads up, and I won. Okay, <laughs> so, so I won eight hundred and fourteen dollars so off you, the ten dollars plus yeah. the plus the so seat. You turn the, the, so you turn yeah. the ten
0: dollars and eight fourteen plus. Yeah, the way running aces does it when they have tournaments coming up, they they often give away like five or seven seats. So the, top seven finishers get a seat so you want your turn ten dollars into 814 plus a $280 seat for the pot of gold main event exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay, so
0: so then we'll fast yeah. forward that that's awesome obviously that's a great result just that and alone uh, but yep. now we'll fast forward and now you uh so you played day one and uh tell us a little bit about your experience of day one of the pot of gold tournament
1: uh day one was pretty it was pretty smooth selling i mean I think the lowest I got down to was like maybe ten K. Um I was raising, you know, and then C betting a few times and not hitting flops and, you know, people were re raising me and I would just fold, you know. I don't if I don't hit anything like ace king or ace queen, I don't really like to chase if it's like a really wet board texture that hits my opponent's range, like, you know, 8 uh, seven, eight, nine suited or something, or seven, eight, nine with like two suits and I have like ace king of spades or something. I'm just laying that down. You know, I don't like to chase so I lost a few spots like that. I think I lost to like pocket jacks versus like ace queen or something like that. And uh, so I was down to like 10,000. And then we went on break and I told myself, you know, don't give up. You know, just keep grinding because I didn't have like rebuy money or anything like that. I had right. one bullet, you know. Well, and the beauty so of that
0: structure, just, the structure is that, you know, you have half hour levels now. So when you're on break, that 10, exactly. 000, that 10,000 chips, which is half of your starting stack, you know, you're probably coming back to mm-hmm. blinds like 2-4 or something. You still got like 25 big blinds. Exactly. You're desperate. And it's not like three yeah. little 10-minute blinds. You've got, you've got some time to be
1: patient still. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I just played patiently. And on one hand, I do remember the hand that doubled me up was actually a guy raises from like cutoff position uh, with two jacks. And I'm on the button with like 9-8 suited. And actually, I think he was MP plus two. So, he was in a hijack actually. It, yeah, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but yeah, I think it's the hijack he was in, because it was hijacked, then cut off, then I'm on the button. Yep. So the guy in the hijack raises with two jacks. I'm on the button with nine eight of spades. Um a couple of, I think small blue and big blind call too. The to raise, he like men raise or something, like two point two and a half X or something like that. Yeah. So we all call and the flop came nine eight deuce. Nice. Rainbow. <laughs> so I got so I got top top two pair. Guy bets like yeah, he twenty five hundred loves his jacks. Yeah, he loves his hand. He's not getting away from it. He makes it twenty five hundred. I raise the five thousand, he puts me all in and I call, and then he doesn't improve with the jacks and I yeah. double up. And yes. after the next thing I know, I went from twenty thousand, I ended it day two with three hundred and fifty two thousand. Like it just went great for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just never looked back. Yeah, the three hundred
0: and fifty thousand was yeah. probably what third third biggest chip stack of like the hundred and two people advancing somewhere in there.
1: Yeah. I was, yeah. I, well, actually I was the, I was number one for my, for my flight. flight. I was, I was right.
0: Overall there's like 102 people at mass and you were like third or something, right? With that stack.
1: Um, no, in my flight I was number one. Right. But when we came back for day two, I was in third. And right. I yep. think I was in, I was like in third or fourth place. One of those yeah, for so day in, two.
0: And a big stack. The average yep. stack was around 140,000 or something going into day two. You've got, you know, two or three times the average stack. So, all right, so now you're going into day two. Uh, you got a nice, big, mm-hmm. healthy stack. I guess just just quickly, yep. kind of what's your what's your mentality going into day two? Are you sort of – do you, are you going in with any fixed mentality or just see what happens? Are you going in with, like, saying, man, I just want to make the money and then we'll try to run it up? Or are you going in thinking, I'm in
1: attack mode here. I'm
0: going to punish people. What's kind of your, your game plan going into day
1: two? Well, I happen to look at the uh, – before, like, on uh, – I happened to look at the seats, like what seat I would be sitting in and looked at the players at my tables and looked at the positions and who the players were. I was, like, looking the players up on Hendon Mob to see if yep. they had, like, any significant caches or anything like that. Yep. But so there was, like, Leo Fuzzy that. on the table. Yep. He was on my table, and I know he's a solid player. And there's was, like, uh, one other guy. I can't think of it. But all the rest of the players seemed like they were recreational. And I had, like, everyone double times two. I had them doubled. Right. So I knew that I was going to be applying a lot of pressure because I knew that. You know, the money bubble. I think there was like maybe 20 guys that needed to go out or something. And it yeah, was like, there's just like 20. Brady Ross is on my table. He had like 24,000. And there was like a few guys that had like less than 30,000. There's right. like a couple of people that had like 150,000, 160,000. And then everyone else was in the fifty forty thousand, 40,000, you know, 70,000 range. So you had a, you had so a really, my mentality a really good was good just. Draw. Draw. Yeah, really good table draw. Really good table draw. Really yeah. good table draw. Like usually when I make day two, I have like, Robbie Wazwaz, <laughs> Matt Alexander, yeah. you know, like, all the pros, like, you know, like, right to my third, to my immediate, you know, to, to my immediate left.
0: Okay. Okay. So you're, you're going in with sort of, you're, you're going in planning on, you know, being the aggressor, tr- trying to chip up more. Um,
1: exactly. Yeah. With, against those yeah. tables
0: with those stacks. Okay. So how did it go kind of early on uh, leading up to the bubble? How did it go? I know the bubble was only like, you know, an hour, hour and a half into the tournament. So what did that first uh, pre-bubble time look like
1: for you? Were you able to chip up or how'd it go? Yeah, I, I got probably to over, probably about 600K wow. within that hour. Because I was like, I mean, uh, people were just like, I could see the frustration in their face because I was just raising and re-raising every hand. But I, mean, I had decent hands, you know, like if someone raised and I had like ace jack or ace queen, I'm three by right now. And, you know, I'm 3-betting with, like, king-10 suited. (laughs) Ace-jack, ace-queen, basically pocket pair higher than eight. Like, you know, I was applying a lot of pressure. And I took out, like, two people at once, like, two of the short sets. I was in a big blind with jack-6 suited. And they both shoved all in, And it was like only like 12000 for me to call yeah. to knock out two players. So I called and hit a flush on the river. I was just running like God. And like, I have to admit, I was running pretty good.
0: Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: So, so good. See, so you made it, you, you got to
0: the bubble, you were able to ship up. Things kind of went your way. Uh, you know, sometimes they don't, yep. but they did. So you got to the bubble yep. and now, you know, just let's yep. just kind of run through for the next, before the final table kind of the period from the bubble mm-hmm. to the final table, you know, was it still just kind of, easy clear sailing uh you know we don't need to get into a lot of specific. Well, kind of generally what was sort of your vibe were, were you confident were you starting to you know think about the title you know what was kind of going through your mind and how did that I didn't, generally go to be to be
1: honest i never thought about the money until we were about six handed. i'm just okay. being honest like i just sure didn't think about the money i didn't even i knew we were in the money but i didn't know like how much it was or anything because i never looked at it i yeah. was just more focused on playing my game and trying to, you know, observe what the players are doing and try to come up with a counter strategy to, to beat them. You know, I mean, I was just yep. focused on the game because a lot of times, like, I've been in day two before and I'm like, oh, I got to make some money. I got to make some right. in cash. And, and it affects my game. I'm like folding tens and, you know, folding in spots that I shouldn't be folding or not being aggressive enough. And then I end up getting a min cash. And, like, so this time I was just focused. One of my fr- good friends is Carl Cardenito, he's oh, a three time sure. MSTT champion. Yeah, yeah i involved, So he was already yeah. telling me. Yeah, he's a fearless player. And He just told me, he was like, man, be fearless, play your game. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the results. Just play your game and see where it goes." And that's that's all I did. I didn't literally didn't think about the money until we were like six handed. Right. And then that's when I realized, okay, wow, I'm here. You know. So, yeah. Okay. And then, uh, so f- going to the final table, um, I got hit like a couple of my buddies. I was down to 100k, <laughs> so yeah. because like I ran in with my buddy DJ Henderson. He like men raises on the cutoff and I'm in the big line with ace ten and I just stoof on him. And I guess I didn't realize how much I shoved for. I think it was probably like five hundred K and he snapped called me with Ace, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and another one of my buddies, he, he he caught a flush on me when I no, he caught a boat when I hit the ace high flush. So that yeah. crippled me. So yeah. I was <laughs> so I was on like a hundred K or something like that. And, and then we went why, on break and like came back. Well I think in any
0: any long tournament like this, you're going to have those spots where you get coolered or you make a mistake or whatever it is. I think Mm -hmm. the key is that, you know, you're able to build enough chips uh, during those, you know, the pre-bubble phase and that sort of stuff where you can absorb those things. And I think that's a mistake a lot of recreational players do is they think, okay, I'm in good shape. And then, but then they don't, you know, they're not able to chip up. They don't have the kind of game where they're able to keep chipping up. And so then, they end up, you know, kind of coming back to the field. They have an average stack. One thing goes against them. You know, they shove ace-10 into pocket aces. Yeah. And now they're out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, you know, the advantage yep. that you had is you were, you know, either because of your run good or because of how you were playing or whatever, you're able to chip up so mm-hmm. that when those, when those really horrible spots come or you get sucked out on, you're still in the tournament.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that sounds exactly. like something you did, you did really well because you're never going to be able to avoid all of those things the entire tournament.
1: Exactly. It's just, it's just, you have to be able to bounce back. Like you said, it's very important to have a shift, So you have to really pay attention to stack size. Like I am never shoving against someone who had me covered. Like I was right. shoving against stack that I had covered because I know that they can't bust me. And so that's very important to like pay attention to stack sizes, pay attention to, you know, how often people are raising and what they're raising with that showdown. So yeah, that's, that's very, very important. Okay. So that type of stuff I was thinking about.
0: Yeah, no. It sounds yeah. like you you played a really confident, good, solid game. So, all right. So you get to the final table. Uh, you said you didn't really think about yep. the money till the final six. Uh, just talk a little bit about your final yep. table experience. was this the kind of the biggest final table that you're ever a part of with the most money up top, or is this something that you've experienced before?
1: Well, the final table the further level money tournament too. Okay, I think there was on. So I'm I'm back to back final tables right now. Nice. So, but I think it was only thirty one K up top at, at that for the level money tournament. Yeah, and but um, still, obviously, but yeah, this will be my biggest yeah. my bigger final table. Yeah. The, the most the most money I've ever been close to was I was online playing in a million dollar guarantee on black chip poker and okay. there was like twelve hundred and sixty one players and I went out twenty six plays and it was like hundred thousand up top. Nice. So okay. that was like that would have been life that would have been life changing for me. <laughs> well for sure. So this so, isn't but yeah, this, this but, one of my biggest title it's, table. Yeah. It's a big deal, but it's
0: it's not it's not the first time you've experienced it, but it's still only the second or third time where you've yeah. kind of been close to this big money. So yeah, that, uh you know right, right. you're you're a very confident guy, but were there any butterflies at this point where you were you starting to think, man, I just can't make a big mistake, or were you just kinda I'm just gonna play my game, whatever happens, happens.
1: Well, I busted out Robbie Wadwas in eleventh place. Yep, um, I I got lucky. I'll tell the end really briefly. I, I was big blind with uh with Ace Deuce of Diamonds, and I think the blinds are at this point were like fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And I, we were both the big chip leaders at the table. I had like probably one point five million. He had probably like one point two million or something like that. And he man raises with Queen Jack off on the cutoff. I flat the big blind. Flop comes Queen Ten. Three or something like that with two diamonds. Oh boy! Yeah. I check fireworks. <laughs> I got enough nut flush draw. I got the nut flush draw. Yeah, he's so got he got. He, he he And he got top pair. He bets like two hundred k, and I just shove on him. Yeah. Because my thought process was, well, if he has a queen, you know, I still have outs. I have a diamond draw plus an ace draw plus an ace plus an overcard, or he could just float if he doesn't have anything. So That's there's right. two ways I could win the hand. So right. I just shove all in. He does snap call, and I hit an ace on the turn. And he doesn't improve. Yep. So I came into the final table with chip leader. And yeah. so I was pretty confident. Yeah. 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 So okay, I was so- trying to make a chop though. I was trying to ask the guys that when we were 10 handed, like, Hey, do you guys all want to take 5,000 a piece? and play for the rest because I only had $12 in my pocket at that point. <laughs> so, so, well, I,
0: gonna...
1: I literally had 12 bucks in my pocket. You know? well, let, me, let, me, well,
0: let me ask you about that. Let me ask you about that because I know ultimately it did end in a, a three-way chop and I want to talk about that. But, um, you know, 10-handed. So you're a massive chip leader. Uh, you're kind of proposing it uh-huh. up there. You, was the thought just because, man, I made it this far. I just want to, man, if I could lock up five grand, I'd feel
1: really, really good. Is that kind of the, the perspective? That was a thought process. I was like, I'll leave when want to go home with five k. You know, if I yeah. run bad, at least I made five k. I would have been happy with that. You know, right. So that was that was my thought process. Was t- the lock because, up five k? Yeah, because tenth place
0: was what? Tenth place was probably like a thousand bucks or something.
1: I think it was like maybe nineteen hundred. Okay. Okay. I think it was about nineteen. It was about nineteen hundred.
0: Yep. Okay. So, so was it?
1: But still, three thousand is three thousand. Oh, so That's still, yeah, you know, no. it's a decent amount of money. You know. Nope, it's, yeah. it's
0: definitely huge for 10-handed. Like, you you know in poker, anything can happen. Okay, so, the, so no chop happens. You continue to move forward. Uh, at what point yeah. are you starting to think this could actually
3: happen?
1: When we got down to about six-handed, yeah. I started realizing that I, I was like, wow, I was running good. Like, I was catching cards when I needed to catch cards. I was, like, being very aggressive and three-betting people with, like, you know – Everything, my whole range, pretty much. And, well, not my whole range, but, you know, like ace highs and king highs and stuff like that, but only in late position and stuff like that. I was three-betting the guy. And every time someone tried to raise on the button and I was in the small blind, if I had a blocker, an ace or a king blocker, I know it was harder for them to have it. So yeah. I just three-bet them, and they it pretty much every time, you know. <laughs> so okay. I was just, I, you know, I was, I was running really good. And so I kind of started realizing, like, wow, I'm, I have a shot at, at shipping this thing, you know. I wouldn't get it.
0: I like what you're saying, too. I mean, you're saying, you know, I was running really good, which means you were picking up decent hands. But, uh, you know, you know that variants can come in many forms. And part of running good is that when you were three-betting or when you are shoving, people were folding. Um, you know, people don't consider that part Correct. of the luck of the game. But that's a, that's a huge part of the luck of the game, that they were, you know, raising with King Jack instead of raising with pocket aces, which, the, which is certainly in their range. You know, so that's part of the luck of the game yeah. is that when you're three-betting as being effective and you're getting the folds, when you have sort of those marginal
1: hands, yeah. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, it is because you know, you know, you don't always pick up aces. I mean, I think I've probably seen aces maybe one time the entire tournament. Yeah, the whole two days. I mean, which is so, cool. so you have to be able to. Yeah, you have to you have to make use of what you get. You know, no, that's
0: it. So, well, that that's playing poker. I think that that's playing poker. And so you know, and I like the idea of blockers. That's something we can explore sometime in the future. with that idea of saying, okay, here's their whole range. If I have an ace or a king. That you know, that narrows the part of the range that has aces or kings. And that's a that's a big piece of understanding yep. the game. All right, let's I want to fast forward a little bit. Um uh to, let's just get you down to three handed here. Um, get you down to three handed here and the decision to chop. Walk me through that deal. Uh now who was left? You and Stevie was was and who was
1: who was the third? And Ty, Some some guy oh. named Ty. I'm not Ty, sure what his yeah. life is. Yep. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. Ty Ty was a really good player. Like I respected his game. Like he was a really good player. You know, I had played with him. You know, when we were like three tables left, and he was like three better than me a lot. You know, floating <laughs> yeah. me and you know what I mean like he was like, and he was like to my left. So, you know, even though that I had, I think I had like I'm not sure how many chips I had, but I know I had way more than them. I'm, I think yeah. I had maybe eight million or ten million or something like that. I never really counted it, but the thing was is well anything can happen, you know. I was thinking in my mind, like, okay, I could try to win the whole tournament for 39K. But right now, third place is only guaranteed 14K. Yep. So, I first I tried to do an ICM chop. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, let's see. No, actually, Ty suggested the ICM chop. And okay. so, they came back and they were like, I can get 32 and he would get 28. And then Wazwaz would get 20. Which I don't understand why he didn't do the deal. He was, Wazwaz was, was okay with that. He was like, no you know, let's, let's take 22,000 a piece and play for the rest. And I was thinking like, wow, you know, well, 8,000 is a lot. You know what I mean? I was like, what if they do double up on me and come back? Because I've been in that spot before, not this big of a spot, but I have been chip leader in smaller tournaments and, you know, we're three handed and the guy comes back and they beat me. And I, you know, or I I turn the top down. I hate being the guy to turn the top down and then, then you lose, you know, (laughs) you're like, damn, I could have got some more money, you know? Sure. So, and then another thing I was thinking about was, um, well, I was looking at like well, I can still play for I can still play for another seven thousand and the trophy. So why not guarantee myself the eight grand and you still have another shot to win more money? Because I figured I was going to win anyways. So and I, and also we had already agreed like there was only one person when I, when we got to the final table and I wanted to take five grand apiece. They were all in agreement. You know, waz and Ty was in agreement. There was, the guy who got fourth place was the only guy that didn't want to chop. Okay. So now that I'm chip leader, you know, I don't want to be the a-hole to be like, oh, now they got way more chips than you guys, I'm not going to chop. I'm not like that. You know what I mean? I'm not a greedy person. I was very satisfied with, I'm guaranteed $22,000. I only put in $10. I mean, what do I have to lose, you know? So, I so, took so, the what, chop. Was,
0: so what did you guys end up finally deciding on for the chop? 22 apiece and play for the rest?
1: Yeah. we put. Yeah, we did 22 apiece. We added three more K to second place. So second place is guaranteed 25K. Uh, and then first place was guaranteed 29K. Okay. So you just, so you really, everyone's not talking like, oh, that wasn't, it wasn't too smart to do that and this and that. But it's hard to say what you'll do when you're actually well, in the situation. Well, yeah. Here, and you're here's looking at
0: here's the, the deal. I mean, everybody has an opinion on chops. Sometimes I chop, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't. And I have a real specific reason usually for why I do it. Um, but, but when you're, mm-hmm. you're in that situation at this point, uh, there's only three people that can control the money. And that's the three of you left. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's your guys's money to split however you want. So you guys can do whatever you want. Um, so I think that's, that's cool. Right. I mean, you got to look at you know what's your situation with your chips, what's your confidence level, what's your own personal financial yep. level, all of those things. So I think I right. mean for you to be in that spot and decide what you want to do with it, I think it's perfectly within your right. And who cares what what people think? You know, if they were right. there, they could have chose, exactly. chosen something else. So I think I think it's super cool. Exactly. Um, you know, I played with both of those guys too. Ty, I think it's Ty Van Din, I think is his last name. And Stevie Waz was, was they're both yeah, at my table it. the they're both at my table the last few hours of day one. Uh, they're both extremely tough mm-hmm. players. They they really are tough players. Yeah. And so that's where they you gotta kind of take that into account too and say, Well, how do I feel about this whole three handed thing? But at the end of the day, you walked out of there uh, you know, but bo- you know, gross before tip and all that stuff. You got the twenty what'd you get? Twenty nine? Is that what you ended up with then?
1: Twenty nine thousand. Twenty nine thousand. Hey, yeah.
0: Okay. So this so <laughs> the, the the broader picture, you know, we can talk specific hands, we can talk chop, we can talk all these things. At the end of the day, here's what happened, you know, in, in your life. <laughs> you walked in on a Monday night, an hour late, you, you walked in an hour late to the free roll. Uh, you 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 yep. had $10 to give for an extra 5,000 chips. So you walked in, you ended up get, sitting down with seven big blinds in a free roll, uh, and you spun yep. that up yourself a seat. Later that week, you yep. won, and you ended up running that yep. up to become... The third highest chip stack out of 102 people who advanced today, two out of a field of about 750 people. From that 102 people mm-hmm. on Sunday, you ran that all the way up, and you won the fricking title. You won the trophy, and you won twenty nine thousand dollars. You started with ten dollars yeah. on Monday, ten dollars <laughs> and a little bit of gas exactly. money. Ten dollars, a little bit of gas money. A little bit of
1: gas money.
0: <laughs> pick and pick up your own yeah. of work, and you ended the week with twenty nine thousand dollars minus tip taxes, all that kind of stuff wow i mean that, exactly how great of a story is that like if you could and you experienced it so it's a little different but if you were to step back from that and and you know say yeah. it wasn't you say it was one of your buddies
1: how amazing was story would that right. look to you um that's really awesome you know like like you said it's almost like the moneymaker event you know for not as big as what he did but for live you know for ten dollars i mean it's pretty cool man it's like I'm hoping to inspire other people out there, you know, just cause you don't have the bankroll or, you know, you might not come from a lot of money. You know, if you focus hard and you study and you just have confidence in yourself, believe in yourself, you can do the same thing. You know, it, you can go from rags to riches, you know, <laughs> that's the okay. great thing about bunker, You know. Yeah.
0: I mean the moneymaker effect is a good, it's a really good parallel. And I think part of this is strategy too. Like you can, you look at the big tournament and you say, I can't pay $290 to pay the big tournament. Now, maybe you could, maybe you couldn't, but I'm saying for for the for a lot of people that are out there saying, I'm never going to pay $290 to enter tournament. Wait, there's another way. They're right. actually doing this free roll on Monday night. I can pay for nothing yep. or, or $10 and get in, and that's a path. Now, maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. work out, but at least it's a path to put you in a situation to give yourself a chance. And so I would encourage people. to give you a yeah, shot. If, if you don't know how to, yep. if you don't to play the big ones, play qualifiers play free rolls, try to get your seat, look for creative ways to try to get yourself in there. And even if it doesn't, you know, turn yep. into $29,000 like it did for you, the experience you get from yep. doing that. I mean, the, these people, I see these people play the free roll. They get the seats and they play day one and they're playing against the best in the, the best people in the city. Now it great. doesn't always work out yeah. for them, but That experience is so right. valuable. Uh, if you're paying attention, to yeah, your, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And to just learn from that, that that's so valuable. So Man, I, I tell you what, dude, it's yep. such a great story to watch you. And, you know, you're so fun to have at the table, too. You're just, you're enjoying life. You're enjoying poker. And so, you know, it's really easy yep. to root for you. And so I just want to say, man, what a great run. And congratulations on, on all the success, man.
1: Thank you, man. I really appreciate it, man. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been great, man. It's been, really, it's been really cool. Like, it's like a dream come true for me, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like but now I just, you know, I'm trying to stay humble. You know, now I have more of a bankroll, so I can play more games. You know, I'm, I'm playing online a lot more. I was just playing a tournament last night. Uh, there, it's 50K guarantee every week on America's Card Room. $22. It was uh, 12K up top. I went out like 190th place out of like 3,700 players. So I didn't get the win. I still made 60 bucks. But I'm going to be playing that every Sunday, unless I'm in a big one, you know.
0: Yeah, no, so good. <laughs> it's so good. I think the, the key is just, you know, like like everything, you know, just keep good bankroll management. Don't get too big. Don't get don't make it happen too fast. Uh, but you seem exactly see, you got a good head on your shoulders. You kind of know how to go, and you've got a good game, and you're continuing to learn the game. So, man, best wishes going forward. I'm going to probably cut cut us off yeah. there, but thanks for taking the time, man. This was right. super fun, and I'm super excited to have, to have had the chance to kind of hear more about the the journey to twenty nine thousand.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me, man, and I'll be seeing you on the phone.
0: Yes, sir. Take
3: care. Okay. Yeah. Right, you just uh, go- do you want me to take over? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I brought my sunglasses so I can put them on when you guys start critiquing this hand.
0: <laughs> no, no.
3: <laughs> it's, uh, it's an ace-king hand. We had eight players left in a running aces tournament. Uh, they paid six, usually pay the bubble. So basically the eighth person is the bubble in my in my thinking. Uh, the blinds were $2,500 with a five hundred dollar ante. Uh, as you look around the table, I don't have everybody's stacks, but I was a third, small, third or second smallest stack. The one, the guy that left me at twelve k, I had fifty two k, and the big blind had fifty four k. Everybody else was comfortably ahead of the three of us. Um, so I looked down to my hand. I got ace king off suit. <laughs> The uh, under-the-gun f- folds, I bet $15,000. Uh, it folds around to the big blind, big blind calls. So I got a question mark betting $15,000 um, with my stack. Should I have went all-in? 15000 I was hoping maybe the 12000 might come along, get him out of the game, get into the money. Um, your guys' thoughts. Are you upset if you just take down the hand here?
2: You just take the blinds and annies?
3: Uh, No, not terribly because, you know, we're looking at, uh, what, 7,500 and 4,000, so Mm -hmm. 11,500. I'm not – I have a history with Ace King that's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Last year I went out to the World Series, played for a week, had Ace King 16 times. And it never got help any of those sixteen times. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a little tentative with ace king.
0: Do you, do you do you think? Uh, also, another question. Uh, Taylor's was a good one. I think also, if you get re-raised here, are you ever folding ace king, king pre-flop?
3: No, no. In fact, I was kind of looking for a raise, and then I was going to go all in at that point in time.
0: Yeah. So I guess you know my my initial thought is. You know, it's it's tricky because you are on sort of what you're considering the the first bubble. You've got somebody with twelve thousand with you know two big blinds on your left, but you know uh, it's also such a good spot to pick up the blinds and annies. And you know if you get called, you know you see all five cards. I guess my thought with whatever you have ten or eleven big blinds is you probably just rip it in here if you're never going to fold it pre flop, uh, and if you're happy just picking up the blinds and annies, I'd probably just maximize my fold equity. Ship it all, and then uh if I do get called at least I get to see all five cards That's mm-hmm. my initial thought even even though it's on the bubble, even though you have sort of i c m implications, I still think it's just too good of a hand, too good of a spot um, with the second lowest chip stack to not just rip
2: it in yeah, you can't let i c m um keep you from playing premium hands. This is still a very profitable hand for you to have, so i mean you're clearly never folding, and then it comes down to If you bet, how much do you bet? And with 10 big blinds behind you, the opportunity to easily pick up 11,000, I feel like this is a a shove just from the start.
4: Well, and if you get
2: called, you don't really care. Like you're going to be in a decent spot.
4: Yeah. And if you do get called and double up, now you're not looking to eke into the money, but you're in contention for winning the tournament.
3: Right. And that's kind of what I was thinking as I went along. So, That's that's pretty much what I thought the consensus would be, and that's why I brought this up to Steve. Is because I played it like a wreck, and I am a wreck player. Well, I will
0: let George before you before you go on. I will say, I mean, I don't. I mean, to me, it's not it's not horrible. I think it's a shove. I think it's the right play as a shove. I don't think it's horrible. But the one caveat before you kind of go the rest of the hand is, I think if I do just bet something less than all in and I get called, then I'm pretty much going to be flop and board dependent on if I continue or not. That, that's sort of my thought. I'm just putting in 15 thinking, well, you know, if I don't get there, unless the conditions are really right, I probably just am giving up then if I don't hit. That's sort of my thought.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed, definitely. Uh, all right, so I'll move on a little bit. Now the big blind must have begin it, been a beginning player because he did not understand the one chip rule and he did not understand the bounty chip was an all-in at the beginning of the tournament because I sat next to him.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: So I'm not sure what that, you know, if he th- should have called or not called. I'm in early position. I've raised. I'm showing strength. The flop comes out queen, queen, eight. And the big blind checks. But when he checks, there's a little bit of motion, like he's twitched. Mm-hmm. Bet and then he stopped. At least that's what I saw. I thought I saw. So he checked and then I checked.
0: Did Did you read anything into that motion, or just you just observed it, or did you
3: actually think about something there? Well, I thought a little bit that he might have something, but the problem is I didn't continue with that thought. So um, because he did check, I looked looked at his motion and I felt uncomfortable. So I checked back. Now there again should i have checked back should i be making a small to medium bet to see where i'm at with a pocket pair on the board what are you guys thoughts there
0: i i guess my initial thought is if i if i played the way you played at the 15k and it goes he he checks us this might be one of those spots i know i said you know i, I might give up on a lot of boards uh, this might be one of those spots where i probably would really think about ripping it in here Just because of if he just calls, um, you know, what hand does he have that, you know, most of his range is not going to hit this flop. If he had just called me pre-flop, obviously queen's hit, but, you know, if he's got ace-jack, ace-10, ace-9, you know, king-jack, king-10, jack-10, all that kind of stuff, Um, even like pocket pairs, like fives and sixes and fours and that kind of stuff. If I shove here, I might get him off of that. And if I don't, I'm still probably drawing live to anything but a queen. So that that's sort of my initial thought is that maybe I shove this flop. Other other guys.
2: I think uh, a very sneaky move here of betting ten thousand is in order. Oh, go on! You're gonna you're gonna get a lot of people to fold. Right. Think about it. The same situation. If you bet another forty k versus ten k, um, what hands would fold to the? big bet, but not to the small bet. I feel like you're going to get the big blind to play his hand face up. And if you bet small, he's either going to shove or fold. And if he does call, you're kind of in a weird spot, but uh, you at least oh. tried to get him to fold.
3: Right. I think if he calls and then I put the brakes on anyway, and I agree right. that after thinking about the hand, that's what I believe I would have do- should have done was mm-hmm. to at least put out a small to medium bet find out where I was. If he calls, put on the brakes, I've got ace high, you know, i got a showdown value. Because if you bet 15 right away, um, which uh,
2: if we want to get back to, I think 15 is too big of a sizing, but I don't know how you are personally sizing throughout the tournament. It may be consistent with your uh, open raises, um, but on the flop or the turn, I think even a check is fine, and then firing out on the turn, a small bet uh, kind of for the same reason that I said, you're trying to get him to fold. Um, it looks fairly strong when you bet that small.
0: And but then you just fold. If he calls, you give up or if he shoves, you just fold.
2: Essentially. Yeah. You still have that short stack covered. If you make right. that small bet, right. You still position with 30 ish thousand.
0: Yeah. You'd have 20, like 26 K behind or something.
3: Yeah.
0: You yeah. Five big
2: blinds behind. Yeah, you um, you hit the blinds before that other opponent, but you do.
3: I would have had enough to get through, and he would have been just yeah. about out of chips when he went through the big blind, small blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an
0: interesting take, Taylor. I think I think yeah, if you're willing to put in an additional 10k and then give up, you know, if, as long as you're willing to do that, I guess if you get called or if they get if they shove on you.
2: Yeah, and if you do it on the turn, you kind of know what your outs are going to be if you do get called. If you get shoved on it, it should be an easy fold for you because you know he has you beat if he shoves. Um, obviously, you're hoping for a fold. And if he calls, you're kind of in a weird spot, but you know that you're probably behind and you probably need an ace, a king, or a 10 to win. Right. So it it seems kind of weird to have a pot size bet left and then bet out a fourth of the pot, but I think it could work out well here.
0: What do, you, what do you other guys think? Uh, so on the flop list, as soon as it's as played, we bet 15K we get called. Flop comes queen, queen eight. Uh, we have 37K behind. The pot is 35,000 or something like that. Uh, we have bubble implications. What do you guys think?
6: I am uh, a continuation bet. That was, Rob, what was that? Yeah, I probably continuation bet. Like you Taylor so. said, probably uh, something like quarter pot.
7: Yeah, I was thinking like 12K continuation bet.
3: Okay. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. The The only thing I, I did, like I said, get a little something out of his motion, and I'm not sure it obviously didn't stick very well as I played the hand out. So, yeah,
2: and another thing that you said too earlier, George, was that you've seen this guy um, make kind of like silly mistakes or – uh, unfamiliar with stuff. And yep. in that case, like a small bet, he might not even like notice it's a small bet. He might just be like, "Ah, uh, 10,000. Uh, I just fold. Right. Type of stuff. So it, I think that gives it a little bit more merit to the small
3: bet. Sure.
2: My personal opinion though.
3: No, it's good. Okay. So we'll keep moving on. Turn is the jack and the big blind checks again. So I'm looking at it all over and I'm going, well, I checked the second time, I don't think he's got a queen. And if he's got a jack, I got four tens and uh, any ace or any king that I maybe win with. So I got 10 outs if he does have a jack. So I rip it in at that point. There again, <laughs> I got a question mark by all these things I think I probably did wrong, but uh, mm-hmm. what do you guys think about that? Yeah, what do you guys think?
2: I kind of made my opinion clear. I think it's it's either if you check the flop, either another check here or a small bet. I think any all-in, we just let our opponents play perfectly against our given hand.
6: As much as you don't want to limp into the money, you do have a guy right next to you with two big blinds. And you can survive the um, blinds going through you but he's going to be all in and you, you have a chance to get in the money. Like you said, if you're on the bubble, right? You know, there's two, two things you think about on the bubble. You either want to go, um, you know, be very aggressive and try to push people off of pots and win those blinds and annies because everybody's trying to get in the money or you, you stay back yourself and don't get too involved. Until the bubble bursts, so you have two moves there, depending on how much you want to just cash compared to how much you want to go for the gold, so to speak.
3: Right, and that's kind of what I thought at the uh, the all-in. I'm I'm kind of going for the gold. I don't want to min cash. I want to get some chips. And uh, my timing issues were pretty bad. I think <laughs> the all-in. Yeah, if
6: that was if that was your thought pattern, then I would have just gone all-in pre-flop. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, like I said, I got a history with Ace King, so I'm a little timid. <laughs> ace king. Yeah,
6: but that you one. know, if you if you flip a coin ten times in a row and it comes up heads, yep. guess what? It's still fifty fifty that it's gonna come up tails the next
7: time. I'm not sure I believe that thirty <laughs> <laughs> five I find a lot of people that have an issue with like ace king hands and pocket jacks hands is uh, they end up usually playing them too timid. They don't play them as strong as as strong a hand they are. They end up playing them weak, and that's why they lose with them more often than they probably should. And so this ace king with ten big blinds is a is a almost automatic shove, even though you're on the bubble. Uh, You just want to pick up. He's going to fold queen jack. He would have just folded that preflop, and you would you would have had sixty thousand and pretty much guaranteed being in the money. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah
6: that's that's exactly what i'm what i'm thinking i I think at by the time you get to the turn, you know I don't know i don't really it doesn't really matter what you do by then because you've already committed half your stack or you know so most of it anyway. I think Taylor said it good i mean if 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 you're thinking that deeply, not a lot of people think as deep as Taylor does about these situations. that's true, yeah uh,
3: right.
6: You know, I would, I'd be looking at it like I'm in no man's land. I wouldn't know what to do.
2: I'm blushing, Rob.
8: Thanks.
6: (laughs) It's true though. I mean, you, you think about, you think it at a different level than a lot of people think for uh, all the different options that are available to you. You go into each one of them and, and look at how they, how they can impact what you're going to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it like pre-flop, I go all in. And by now I, I would be. I would not know what to do. I'd be in no man's land.
2: Yeah. And I, I don't know if I'm putting kind of thoughts into how George was thinking about it, but I, I feel like I've been in this situation before I felt like I'm on in no man's land on the turn and I shoved because that's just my natural instinct of how can I get my opponent to fold? I just need to shove. Yeah.
3: And I think, exactly.
2: I, I think that's a big problem. And I think this is a really good hand to kind of point that out. Like, Hey, if, if we get in these situations where we're not sure what we are going to do, we can't just like rash or like make a rash decision and go all in thinking that's the best decision.
3: It's simplifying because it's all or nothing and you're done. Yeah. You don't have to think about it
2: anymore. Right. Like You you shove all in your decisions are done, but that doesn't mean it was the right decision because it took away decisions from you. Like, I've made this mistake thousands of times and I keep trying to smack my hands saying, don't do it.
0: <laughs> well, I and guess, yeah. And I think one of the things you said, Taylor, too, is just good. And I think that's, uh, you're, you're, I'm learning a lot through this conversation. I think one of the things you said was, um, you know, by, by shoving, you are forcing your opponent to play optimally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's clearly what is happening there. You know, it's pretty much a, a queen they call. And uh, everything else that you're ahead of, they fold. So if they're ahead of you... And they call, and if they're behind you, they fold, which obviously is not, you know, the where the the situations that we want to be in. We want them to call us with worse hands, and we want them to fold better hands.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, and I was also thinking that possibly by going all in, I slow played a queen myself, not realizing, as it shows down on the bottom, that he's holding the queen <laughs> and, and a jack for a full boat. But if you did have a queen, would you have
2: showed? It, this is kind of where I was going with like my small bet thing. Like if you have a queen here, do you maybe just bet small? Right. And therefore when you bet small with just your ace high, it could give the perception that you were trying to get value out of a queen as well.
3: Yep. And that's why I put question marks by each one of those. I felt like I misplayed all three of my uh, streets there. Mm -hmm. Pre flop on the flop. I, I, Should have bet, went all in. I had thirty percent of my stack in anyway. That technically they tell you to go all in if you got thirty percent of your stack in. Uh, Then I checked when I should have bet something to find out where I was in my mind. I, the old bet to see where you're at, see where you stand a little bit, Mm -hmm. and hopefully if he doesn't have a queen, yes, he's gonna most likely fold. And then, like you said, I get uh, a little nervous and I want to get to the end here. And I'm thinking, how am I gonna make him fold? So I go all in assuming he doesn't have to que- have a queen after two checks because i'm going to bet on the second after one check i'm going to bet i'm not going to wait till the river to bet so he, he he slow played it well and he tricked me right out of my, all my uh, chips mm-hmm. so so if you guys are are kind of sort of taking the line here where
0: we bet preflop and then we we want to do like this 10k bet to kind of see where we're at do you guys i mean we're in position here do you guys like that bet on the flop more or on the turn more? Let's say we're going to do that one time. You know, our line is that we're going to, you know, take a stab at this thing, but we're not going to commit all of our chips. We're going to bet with the intentional folding if we're raised upon. Do, do you guys like doing that on the check where, you know, it's right away. It's kind of an immediate C back C bet. They've shown weakness one time, or do you like it more on a delayed style where they've now checked twice but we've
4: risked them hitting that second,
0: you know, that, that turn card.
4: For me, since you have ace-king, I probably like it better on the flop because you're in essence buying your way to the river if they happen to call you. And they're, they're very likely to check the turn. You can check behind. You have ace-king and uh, you have a shot of still hitting on the river to, for the best hand as well. So that's probably how I would lean
0: because you're you're in position.
6: Right. Right. Ace, Ace King could actually win at showdown too.
3: Right.
4: Well, that's where I was. I was thinking if, if you decided to Mm -hmm. check the flop, which I wouldn't have done either, but as played, check the flop. I probably at that point choose to check the turn as well. Yeah. And then, with the intention of calling a small bet on the river to uh, induce a bluff.
0: Right. George has gone to the
3: shades, I see. I put my shades <laughs> <down> now. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, I figured there were, you know. Pretty much what I figured. I butchered the hand fairly well, and I just wanted to get everybody's opinion <laughs> and to show that uh, we are a rec group, we're not professional. Sure.
2: No, that's it. No, you you have to be able to identify these spots because if you just keep playing this and see this hand and go, "Oh man, I got unlucky." He had Queen Jack. Like you're not going to improve,
0: right? Like, hey, hey guys, I'm, I'm hearing a squeaking. If you guys can mute when you're not talking, I'm not sure if that squeaking is coming from.
2: That's That'd me. Awesome. I'm sorry. My dog is oh, downstairs. No, if
0: it's doing it while you're talking, that's fine. Just when you're not talking. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Finish your thought, uh, dealer. Sorry to interrupt.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like if you go through this hand and go, oh man, I just got unlucky. I had ace king and then he slow played queen jack and just got my whole stack. That's not the right way of thinking of it. Like you go through this and you think about the hand and say, what is the best decision? Okay. It's probably just shelf pre-flop. Okay. Say I don't just shelf pre-flop. Now, what do I do? What's my plan on these flops, turns and rivers and kind of approach it that way. I feel like you're just going to be continuously improving in something that seems like a marginal or small spot just to know what your plan is going to be. And like having thought through it before. So when you're in a different situation, you kind of can recall those thoughts. I think it's really important to go through stuff like this for that reason.
0: Yeah, that's that's well said. Well, George, anything else to add on that, or anybody else want to chime in with their thoughts on that hand or that
5: situation? I got something real quick. Hey, Steve. Hey, Andy. Um, so back to your original question, isn't when we were talking about making that small bet, isn't someone more likely to float you on the turn? I mean, on the flop if you make that bet, but if you wait and make that bet on the turn, that's going to probably give you more of the – Results that you're looking for. That's what I was thinking. where to make that small feeler bet. I think better on the turn, because on the flop sometimes it seems more likely that people are going to float that. Thoughts?
6: I think people float more often when they're in position. You know, the out of position float is a little bit, um, a little bit iffy, because you're, you know, you still have to, if you float out of position on the on the uh flop you're gonna have to float again on the on the turn because you you can't bet out if somebody bets into you so you know i think if 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 the positions were reversed i would i would agree
1: with you
0: i think the stack sizes are are such too it's, it's pretty hard to just float here i mean i don't disagree with kind of what you're saying like you know you can you can float when you're deeper. It's pretty hard to float now when everybody's down to that 10 big blinds or so. I think for me, the, the, the one, I think John made a great point as far as, you know, boy, if you can fire the flop and then you get to are you know, if they have a big hand, they're going to check to you on the turn as well. Then you can check back and you can see all, all five cards. I like that. I think the advantage of waiting to the turn to fire is that now they've potentially shown weakness twice. And, um, I think maybe that was what George was saying is he wouldn't check a queen there twice. And I think a lot of players, I'd say most players, you know, don't have the patience uh, to check a queen twice there, especially if they don't have queen jack. You know, if they've got queen nine or something like that, or king queen, and now the jack comes, you know, it's starting to get a little bit scary, you know, and so most people would fire that turn. So I think the advantage of waiting to fire the turn is that uh, you get to see them show weakness twice. So maybe their pocket sevens eventually they're just going to give up on.
3: That was my thought.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then they, they hit their jack. I mean, that's, that's the thing. So then, again, they're going to check. And because the stacks aren't that deep, it's pretty much they're only going to get one street of value anyway. So I can see why they checked again. But if they had queen 10, they might have bet that turn.
9: So I got a question. Would, if you're betting the, betting the flop then you're saying you get to the river, wouldn't that be the same if you waited till the turn? wouldn't you get a a river call card there too for free for the same price I mean?
2: I think John's making the point that if you continuation bet the flop, you're more likely to get a check on the turn, whereas if you check on the flop, there is a chance that your opponent's going to lead out into you on the turn, and then you have to call, you lose your fold equity. Okay. Saying you keep your fold equity, plus you increase your odds of kind of going check, check on the turn allowing you to see all five board cards.
9: So you're, yeah, I, you're inviting an aggressive co- uh, move on the turn by checking. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Yes. Okay.
4: Yeah. I know if I were in the big blinds position and some George had checked me on the flop, particularly since it's a paired board, I would have been regardless of my cards. I mean, obviously having a full house changes things but <laughs> assuming i missed i'd be very very tempted to lead out on the turn because yeah. the stack sizes cannot afford to take much pressure um and it's just is so much pressure there that i would have uh almost always i think depending upon my read on the player if i don't sense strength i would have let out that turn from the big blind almost 100 percent of the time
9: now, do you think it's more likely they see your C bet on the, on the flop as just that, a, a continuation bet standard that a lot of people make, whether you make whether you hit it or not, and they di- kind of disregard it and are going to call that first one anyway?
4: If the stack sizes were different, yeah. But the, okay. these stack sizes are so shallow that they can't afford, can't afford to. I mean, the, it's basically you could almost say, hey, I'm going to bluff at this right now, and they still can't do anything about it.
9: Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if they didn't hit it either, you could still – you're ahead, probably. Right. I mean, you're ahead of Queen Jack if if it's a different flop that nobody hit. Yeah. Good point.
6: And that's what John was saying. He was talking about, you know, Ace-King could be good at showdown. Yeah. If you can get there cheap enough. Yeah. And a C-bet on the flop could get you to the showdown free.
0: Okay. Yep. All right. Good stuff. Any, any other questions, any other comments? All right. Good stuff, George. Thanks for sharing that. I know it's, I mean, I, you know, my, the, the last two years of doing this podcast, all I do is share hands that I butcher. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying you butchered it, but I think it. I think it's a huge, um, huge opportunity to, to grow our game when we're transparent about how we play things. I think that's, that's how we get better. I actually just, um, was interviewing Emanuel Evigan. Uh, I don't know if you know that name at all, but he, he, he won the free roll uh, last week, ended up going and playing the pot of gold tournament and won, won that tournament too for $29,000. Uh, so I'm going to include his interview uh, on this episode, but that was one of the things that he talked about too is just having people that he was willing to just talk about hands with, share hands, be transparent, and just say, hey, here's what I did. Help me figure out how to play it better. Uh, and so I appreciate you doing that, because I know it's not easy to always say, hey, guys, here's how I played. Yeah. Uh, and everybody disagree with me. I know that's not easy. So I appreciate you doing that.
3: <laughs> no, I re- definitely realized I made a few mistakes, and I just wanted to confirm them. And like you said, think about it for the next time.
0: Yeah. And what I love about it is it's not just, uh, you know, I think, you know, okay, yeah, you should have pre-flop or whatever. But then we we get down to that the, you know, the flop and the turn and having, I think Taylor and others say, well, hey, there's not just a, it's not just a give up or a shove. There's, there's a third narrative here. And I think that's, that's always good to think about what are all of my options, not just what are the most obvious two. So I think that for me, that was a key takeaway uh, in that deal. Um, So let's move, let's talk a little bit about pocket tens. And, uh, and this was uh, starting with a conversation with Stacy. So I don't know if you want to talk about your hand specifically, Stacy, or not, or if we just want to kind of go into this general. I thought we could talk about pocket tens and, and kind of the difference playing them based on where we are in the tournament, where we are with stack sizes, even, even like the same situation. Like I was saying, okay, let's say if there's like an earlier middle position open and a call, and then we're in the cutoff with pocket tens, how does that look you know, early in a tournament when we all have like 100 big blinds how does that look as we're leading up to the bubble? And how does that look, you know, once the bubble's broken and we're sort of in that consolidation phase, that's kind of what was my thinking on, we could break that down and just think about how we should be thinking about pocket tens differently based on stage of tournament. Stacey, I don't know, unless you wanted to, you want to talk specifically about your situation at all.
9: I hadn't prepared to do it. So if you had, if you wanted to break the email out, I'd be okay with that but I hadn't thought about it right now. So I don't have all the figures in my head and, and that. Okay. So. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have a super handy. Let's, we'll keep this one
0: generic. And then if you want to, I'll look for it as we're kind of chatting about this one, see if I can yeah. find it.
9: If, if you feel it would help. That's fine. I, I don't have a problem. Okay. Knowing how, how I, butchered it, but uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't feed it or not. <laughs> it's just, those, these are just tricky spots, right? Well, let's just talk about
0: this and let's talk about, yeah. Um, maybe all the, all the specifics don't matter as much as just the concept. So, Let's first take uh, early in a tournament. Let's say we have 100 big blinds. Uh, just for sake of argument, blinds are 50, 100. Everybody's got 10,000 chips. Um, what are the considerations on how we play pocket tens? We've got a say an early to middle position open, so maybe under the gun plus two, somewhere in there. They open, uh, and then there's a call behind them, and then we're in the cutoff. So we're one away from the button. We're late position, and we have pocket tens. Early in a tournament, 100 big blinds. What are our thoughts on that deal?
3: Well, I I would, again, if you've already got action in front of you, I would be set fighting. I would just be calling. I don't think I would raise at that point in time.
2: I've been widening my 3-betting range a lot, and that moved 10s into a value 3-bet for me. So this is a spot where I'm going to put on the squeeze and most likely 3-bet our opponent and put the pressure on. Um, A lot of it would be player-dependent, depending on that original open and then also the caller. If I've seen them play quite a bit in the day, um, their player types might move me one way or the other. But in general, I'm going to be leaning towards a three-bet here.
5: And are you doing that, hoping, hoping for two-folds, Taylor?
2: Um, I think I'm all right with almost every option. Like, okay. say, like, the majority of it is to keep the blinds out of the way and keep it three-handed, uh, plus no one behind me is going to call, most likely. Um, So I'm going to be in position versus one or two opponents if I do get a call. If I get a fold, um, I'm totally fine with that, too. I'm probably going to be picking up, you know, seven-ish big blinds with that. If not, I'm going to be playing uh, 20 big blind pot with, you know, pocket 10s. Pretty good hand to have. Pretty easy to play on the flop, too. Uh, We can kind of know where we're at once the flop comes out. Um, So... In general, I just think it's a pretty decent spot.
0: And I missed the first part of your comment there, Taylor, as I was searching for that email. Um, You you talked about changing your three-betting ranges a little bit. or uh, Because part of it for me is I want to be able to three-bet aces, so you want to be able to three-bet enough stuff where it's not super obvious what you have. Or what were you saying there about your
2: three-bet I said I'm trying to open up my 3-betting range, and this would be part of my 3-bet value range. Yep, okay. Um, So obviously I'm going to be having some bluffs in there too, uh, but it's not going to be straight linear. So I'm going to be sort of cutting it off with maybe 10s being the bottom of that range. And then, you know, the other cards like, you know, Jack-9s, Jack-8s, you know, Queen-10s, whatever it may be um in terms of my three bet bluffing range
0: yep okay
6: and you said it was player dependent now what if you've got that guy with the john deere hat that open raised you know that he's playing about a five percent range now what do you do
2: uh if that's the person who opened range, probably call. If that's the person that called the original raise, probably still three betting.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, it seems like a minor difference, but when he just calls the original raise, I think we take off the top part of his range. Right. Right. Which makes him three Makes him less scary. You, you yep. can look at him and go, okay, you've got your ace kings, ace queens, king queen. Uh, Maybe some nines, eights, sevens, etc., which we're doing great against with pocket tens. Uh, But when if that would be the open raise, um, he still has all his aces, kings, queens, jacks in his range, uh, which makes it a little bit more scary.
0: I I do kind of like the three bet, even though even if it is John Deere opening. Um, and the reason is I'm going to find out right away if they've got aces or Kings. Um, so I, so I know that going in and a lot of times, you know, if they have Queens, Jacks or Ace King, uh, they're just going to be calling. And in which case I feel like in position, I can outplay them because, you know, I think they're going to just kind of tell you usually if there's an Ace or King on the flop and they check, I mean, you can bet and they're going to fold their Queens. You know, if it's a, if it's a eight high board or Jack high board or something and they check and you bet, they're going to fold their Ace King. It just feels like, you know, I don't mind the three bet there just because I find out right away because they're going to four bet shove their aces. But I'm I'm open to being corrected on that. Just that's just sort of my my thought is it really helps me narrow their range, ex, you know, immensely uh, if I do three bet. I'm even a kind of a min three bet.
7: Yeah, I kind of agree with that because even John Deere, he's he's just calling with his ace kings, ace queens. He's not re raising, and so you're ahead of where he's at. So I agree with three betting or just flatting there, but either one, but, uh, more, I lean towards three bedding on my hands.
2: So Steve, when you say you're going to find out a lot about his range, um, do you think a lot of his range is going to be four betting there and, or a lot of it is going to be folding?
0: <laughs> I, I think a fair amount of, well, I think not a fair amount of four betting, but I think a I think a fair amount will fold, um, Maybe not a lot if we're just min depending on our bet sizing there really how much that's going to fold, but I think he's just going to play it so straightforward that I, I do think aces or kings he's probably going to four bet even even the most John Deere of John Deere folks, uh, so I like to get rid of those hands just because if he's playing queens and below I just feel like he's going to play it pretty straight straight up if an ace or kings on the flop I'm going to know if he has ace king, and if you know ace kings on the flop I'm going to know if he has pocket queens. Yeah, but I'm but I'm open to hearing kind of your, your thoughts on that. But that, that is my thing. I don't think it's going to – I think it's just taking out the very top of his range. I want to know if I'm up against aces or kings here right away before I face an eight-high flop and have to figure out what to do.
3: Well, the only, only comment I would have is last week we had a little bit of this discussion. I don't remember who brought it up, but uh, one of the students of Chris Fox Wallace was told that early in the tournaments – and the blinds are small that you want to play your nines, tens, maybe jacks and, and set mine with them rather than pushing. So that's why I did that in the that last was... tournament last night. But, and it worked out well. I hit a set. Hit, yep. In fact, I hit a full bowl of tens <laughs> and uh, took a lot of chips by set mining.
6: Yeah, I think that's where Taylor landed when he said he would call in that spot because now your tens become a set mining opportunity. Um, I think that was Nels that was talking about that, um, talking about Heidi Rogenkamp, who was a student of of Chris's. That, that's what she was telling him about. And, yeah, I agree, George. I think at that point in time, it's a set mining opportunity. If you know the guy is opening wide, yeah, you can three bet with the tens and make a lot of profit there. But if you know it's it, he's a very narrow opening range. Then what you want to do is set mine at that point in time, and and you can get away from it real quick if it ace king or
7: queen flop.
9: But on the other hand, if you three bet, you don't necessarily have to get away from the the bigger flops because you've represented a pretty big hand as well. And again, that's that's assuming that's assuming
6: he didn't four bet you. And if he just called you and an ace or a king come out, you still don't know where you're at. You're just totally, you're totally in no man's land. You have no clue where you're at. So Hmm. you talk about ace, king being trouble cards for him. It's also a trouble card for you in the cases where he
9: just calls. But if you got position, you get a little not, you get a little info right there, Right.
2: Yeah, do you give up if, say you 3-bet in this situation, you've got pocket 10s and then an ace or a king, let's say just one comes out on the flop, are you slowing down or giving up here?
9: What do they do? Because you've got position, what do they you've got do? got position,
2: they check to you.
9: No, it's I just don't. just heads up. I, don't, I think you, you continue representing the big hand that you represented ahead of time.
2: Right, so in that case, is an ace or a king not that bad for us? I mean, it it'll help us figure out where we're at, but uh, we, it allows us to bluff with pocket 10s then.
9: Right, but if you don't 3-bet, now what are you, you know, now what are you representing? I mean, yeah. I still, it's still in your range, mm-hmm. an
7: ace or a king, but it's it's less, I don't know.
2: I think for a, what we're calling
7: any, If you don't 3-bet an ace or king comes and you're going against two players, one of them hit it, um, I don't think you I don't think you want to try to bluff at this pot now they checked it to you. one of them might even have a set so yeah um the, on the three bet one where there's only one ace or one king out there yeah we can bluff at it we can we can represent it the the biggest question to me is how much how much of the pot are you betting are you betting a third you betting half you betting 60 percent? Um, it depends on what you you think the guy's going to call and what he won't call and what he's going to represent.
9: True enough.
2: Yeah, and I know I've talked about this times before, but I think it's a great spot to continuation bet to a small percent of the pot. I've always talked about kind of, I like to be in the 35 to 40% range of the pot. And I think this would be a perfect spot for that, where it's three bet, your opponent checks to you on an either ace or king high board, you're going to be folding a lot if they've totally missed that card. Um, And if they haven't missed that card, you're going to find out with a call. Um, So you don't really need to risk additional chips. You can size down and still accomplish the same thing.
0: Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. So we're still in early position and, you know, I was kind of being vague about the positions. How, How much do you guys pay attention to, Like if there is an open and a call before us and we have our pocket tens, how much do you pay attention to if that initial open was under the gun versus middle position? Uh, Are you guys actively paying attention to that? Are you sort of thinking, well, do these players even pay attention to it either? Like how does that change your thinking if it's a, you know, under the gun player opens and the under the gun plus one player calls and then it folds around to you in the cutoff versus, uh, you know, middle position opens, uh hijack calls and then you're in the cutoff. How how much do you guys take that into consideration?
3: I put a lot of uh, emphasis on their positioning. If if they're under the gun or under the gun plus one, I'm I'm thinking there's somewhat decent strength. And uh, I'm gonna be a lot more conservative. I'm gonna set mine or I'm just gonna call, most likely. That's what I would why I brought that up originally.
0: Okay. So if that was later position you might be more you you may still set my you may still choose to do that but you'd be more prone to three bet if those right. initial raise bets were coming from later position.
3: Well, last night I had nines and I had four limpers and I tried to put the squeeze on and it went fold 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 all in. <laughs> the third <laughs> limper shoved on you. The fourth limper shoved on. Fourth limpers, Okay, yikes. And so <laughs> he had twenty five thousand. I had twenty eight thousand. So I folded my nines. <laughs> you were ahead by the way yeah i was ahead he had two overs <laughs> but it was 50 50 and that would have been my basically my tournament life yep
0: yep how about the rest of you guys how much are you paying attention to uh the the position of the raised call in front of you
5: i was I, I think you pay attention to it but does it change what your play is with your tens on the cutoff i mean that, that's the question I mean, I think I think you're paying attention to it, but my 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 question is, does that change something? I still think, re- either way, you're still going to probably want a three bet there, even <coughs> if the guy opens under the gun. Are you what? Aren't you still better off three betting those tens than to just call? I guess.
0: I don't know. I mean, I I just I know my own ranges by position, and I'd be much more likely to uh, flat my under the gun open and 3-bet my Mm -hmm. middle to late position open um, based on the the ranges that I play?
2: Unless I've been shown differently, um, my decision to 3-bet differs greatly based off of the position of my opponents. Um, To say it another way, if the original razor's under the gun and the is under the gun plus one, I'm going to give that a lot of value um, unless the opponents have shown me differently. Meaning I've seen them open from the under under the gun and have a marginal hand. If I haven't seen that, I'm gonna take the cautious route and not three bet here. Just because the majority of thinking opponents should have a really tight range from under the gun.
5: So then you're in essence calling and and potentially just set mining at that point, Taylor? Correct. Yep.
2: Yeah. You know, if it's under the gun open, under the gun plus one call. And I haven't seen them do anything or I haven't seen them do anything to change my opinion. It's a hundred percent a call for me. Uh, but if you move them even more around the table and put them as like hijack and cut off, and then I'm on the button. Yeah. I'm going to be three betting almost a hundred percent of the time, even if it is John Deere hat saying he's got a premium hand.
5: And so does it, if it goes from tens to jacks, does that, does that change things? significantly in terms of if it's an early position opener or is it still the same Um, same type of hand?
2: We kind of had this discussion last week when we were talking about we open from the cutoff and the big blind three bet us. And then we were kind of talking about where's that cutoff point of where do you call? Where do you four bet? Uh, This is kind of a similar spot, at least in my mind, where Jack's might be a call that one might be a little bit more player dependent. And then Queens would almost always be a three bet in the exact instance of under the gun, open under the gun, plus one call. It might be a 50, 50 type of thing with Jack's for me personally.
0: And I kind of, I kind of look at it as um, uh, almost a a situation that's almost similar to, do you see bet certain flops when you have some equity in a hand? Like, you know, when you have, when you flop middle pair, when you flop, you know a decent draw uh, that you want to see another card. You know you have a good amount of equity, uh, and it'd be a shame to get check raised off of it. You know what I mean? Um, it, to me, it's this is kind of a similar spot. Like if I have if there's a bet in the call in front of me and I pocket tens, uh, how, you know if if I raise if I three bet there, how how much do I hate getting four bet off of that thing? You know what I mean? And what's the likelihood that I'm going to get four bet? And I think the likelihood of getting four bet. Off of my tens or jacks is much higher if it's an under the gun raiser than it is if it's a middle position to late position raiser. So if I if I think I'm only going to get four bet if they have queens or better or ace king, well that's that's a much bigger part of that under the gun range than it is of like the middle position range. Meaning there's a higher probability that it's one of those hands that they have. So I'm going to get raised off my tens or jacks, and I think that's a shame. I don't want to get I don't want to get raised off my tens or jacks. Uh, if I do, I do, but I don't want that to be a high frequency sort of event. That's why if it's an under the gun razor, I'm more susceptible to, to just call behind. And, and you mentioned to Eddie too, that that you're pretty much just set mining at that point. And I'd be a little bit careful there because you are set mining, obviously that's the ideal, but you still have a fair amount of equity in that hand, even if one overcomes. I think a lot of us are way too quick to give up on that sort of thing. uh, If we don't hit a set, but if it's, if you got tens or jacks, and it's a nine high flop, or if you have tens or jacks facing the under the gun raise, and it's a queen high flop, there's a really good chance that you're still good. Um, you know, you might not always be, but you still might have the best hand, and I, that's when it gets really dicey and tricky for for me on that when you don't flop a set. But I think um, you know you might don't be too afraid to you know see a see a uh, a turn card on that either.
2: And to add to what you were saying, Steve, um, you're talking about the probability of being four bet. Um, another thing to think about is the probability that our opponent folds, right. um, when they're under the gun, it's less likely they're, that they're going to be folding if they're opening with, a uh, smarter under the gun opening range. Whereas if they're in later position and you have tens, um, you're kind of hoping to get Colt folds from hands like queen jack king jack king queen those types of hands that have equity against you um but still they fear a lot of other hands and when you three bet you can get them to fold thinking that they've been uh, like they're pipped like they're king queen versus ace right. king or ace queen um so you get a lot more folds the later position the open is And then when you're under the gun, those King Jack, Queen Jacks are less likely to open. So you're going to see less folds from the hands that you're hoping to get folds from.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great way to think about it. Let's say, you know, somebody under the gun is opening whatever 8% of the hands. They're probably never going to fold to a regular, to a normal three bet. It's either going to be a four bet or it's going to be a call. So yeah, your fold equity is very small in that spot, unless there's some other dynamic in play versus Somebody who in late, later position is opening twenty to twenty five percent of hands. They're still only going to four bet you with that top range, and they're going to call you with some range. But yeah, then there's a there's a nice chunk of of hands that are just going to fold to your to your three bet. I think that's a great point, Taylor. You're looking at the whole range. How much of that range can you get to fold? And then you can obviously you know when, once you three bet, you can represent a lot of different things after the flop.
9: Now at the thirty and fifty dollar tournaments, in the fifty one hundred blind level range, do you notice a big difference in in the under the gun raises versus? I just haven't seen a big difference. I I, I see people with two face guards, any two face cards nine ten, it feels like they're gonna they like the cards. They're gonna they're gonna um, play it there. Um, do you do you see that as different? I think I see it as the tournaments get up to 150 or higher, but do you see it in a 30 and I'm just missing it? Or what do you think?
0: To me, there there's, there's maybe i uh, I'd say 20 to 30% of the players that there is a difference. I would say that there's certain players where I, I know that they're betting their ranges are different by position, but yeah, I think that's a good point. A, a lot of the players are just playing the two cards. It doesn't matter if they're small blind, big blind under the gun button. If they like their hand, they're going to like their hand. I don't know what other people think about that.
6: Yeah, okay. again, it's it's player dependent. You have to – what have you seen them do in the past, you know? I mean, if it's early on in a tournament, you don't really know. You have to go by how is the general field of players playing in that spot. And you kind of just base your decisions based on how the general poker player at that level is going to play. Um, until you've seen a few hands and seen them show down a few hands and try to understand where where their heads at right but yeah early on like that i I would think to stacy's point um, that might be a better spot to even three bet an early position raiser early on in a thirty dollar or fifty dollar tournament to an unknown player because to your point they're gonna they're gonna be opening
0: a lot wider than a thinking player. Yeah. You're, you're betting more for your three betting for value more against a wider range. Right. Right. Yeah. You actually there, you know, you want them to call you with their King 10, Ace nine yep, garbage. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that Stacey? Then how does, does that change thing? Things for you or are you just saying maybe it's less about paying attention to position in those, in those cases?
9: Well, I, just as you guys were talking there, I was thinking about this past weekend where I played, you know, the thirty-dollar tournament, and it—I was just like, no, I didn't. I didn't notice a difference. People were people were playing six, seven. If it was suited, they were gonna they were gonna open an open raise, or if there were, some of them weren't raisers, they were just you know limpers, and they were gonna limp it. It just didn't feel like they were putting a lot yeah. of thought into. And so to to change a lot of my strategy at that point. Didn't seem necessarily wise. Whereas at well, after the second break, now all of a sudden, players that were left, they started noticing a difference. Where people, you know, people were a lot tighter. We were only having two, maybe maybe three to a flop, and I started noticing a bigger difference at that point compared to the beginning. I was just wondering if maybe I was missing it at the beginning of tournaments, and other people see it, and I just don't. Yeah.
6: So is it. Is it because the general public there is just really, really loose all the time, and then by the time you get to the middle, those people that are really, really loose all the time are not there anymore, or is it their stacks yeah, okay. are getting shorter, and so now they're playing a little tighter because they're more concerned about losing their stack? So, yeah, you know, what is I, that
9: dynamic? I see a difference even at the 3 six level, three hundred six level. It starts to, uh, usually starts to tighten up a little bit and it gets a little bit more um like real poker that's that's my thought I don't, I don't know how other people feel there
6: is that because they're getting low on chips or is that because the people that were wild and crazy at the beginning are gone
9: no even though it even it, my table might be still the same it just okay you percentage percentage of stacks the number of big blinds they have is down and they start to feel it that's right. that's my thought
0: and I think too, some of those, the less experienced players, I know for me, it was like this. And I think even here at the table, you know, you might bet three times the blind at the beginning, it's one fifty then it's 300 and they're like, Oh, I can play for that. Yeah. You know? And then the yeah. blinds are, you know, 300, 600, you bet 1800, 1800. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, why so much? You know, they're not really tracking the fact that it's a multiple of blind. They're just seeing right. as a total chip count. So I think, maybe there's yeah. some of that going on too. We're like 2,000. What are you
2: crazy? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. They'll say it out loud to and you. They'll tell you. yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. Or they'll say, Oh 600. When the blinds are 50, hundred, somebody will go six X they're like 600. Oh, I can call for that. You know, they're not really putting together that, you know, these are actually, there's actually some logic behind the multiple blind thing. Right. <laughs> so, okay. so what I'm hearing a little bit is, you know, early in the tournament, Uh, one of the key indicators is, well, where are those raises coming from or where are those bets coming from as an indicator of whether we're going to call or 3-bet behind. Uh, Are there other key determinations uh, that that might change your action from a 3-bet to a call uh, when, you know, the average stack is 100 big blinds deep?
6: I think uh, if you're in the small blind or the big blind – what are your thoughts there? Because I, I, I kind of think in that situation, you don't want to play from out of position. So I think a call is less profitable from that position. And maybe at that point, that's where you really want a three bet with those hands like pocket tens. And hopefully get calls or get folds. Obviously, you don't want to get four bet. If you get four bet, you're going to get the heck out of there because you're out of position anyway. So let's let's get rid of the hand right now. But to me, I think you have uh, you got some fold equity because you're doing that from the blinds. And so to me, I don't I don't like calling out of the blinds in that situation against two players. You know, you got a, a opener and a caller, and then calling behind in the big blind if there was just one opener, I might call in the big blind, but I wouldn't play the small blind without three betting it. I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah. My thought is I I would look at, you know, where are the raises coming from there too. Like if it's under the gun, if it's early position again, um, you know, I might give that more weight. I might be more prone to to play it like I would pocket fours and just set mine and fold if I don't get there. You know, if it's a late position opener, then their range is going to be wider. And then I, I really do like a, a three bet and i probably make it pretty hefty uh, as well, but open to other thoughts on that. Cause yeah, that's, those middle pairs in the blinds can be a place of a lot of anxiety for me.
2: <laughs> Rob, I think we might have a, a fun discussion here. So Good. you said you would either three bet or fold from the small blind. Yeah. Would you do that with nines, eights, sevens? Sixes, fives, fours, early
6: eight. in the turn. Like early, early in the tournament, when we got hundred big blinds, I might try to set mine. But normally, in the small blind, I play very, very tight.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I fully get that, and I'm trying to play tighter from the small blind too. But I think pocket pairs are an excellent hand to play from the small blind, and that's always been my philosophy. So you're kind of throwing me off here when you say you'd either three bet or fold. And I'll give my, my thoughts behind it. And I'm interested to see if you agree (laughs) or disagree, but uh, from the small blind, if we have an open and regardless of how many colors are before us on the button, if we call, we give the big blind the right price to call almost every single time, which increases our set mining odds. I've, I just love how that all works out. That if we've got, you know, deuces, sixes, eights, nines, whatever it is, like if we just call from the small blind. We're increasing our odds by calling by getting the big blind to also call with us. Um, if the big blind three bets, we're kind of in an awkward spot. But typically, we're gonna have everyone else in the hand help decide what we should be doing by the time it gets back to us. And likewise. After all the pre-flop action happens and we're on the flop in a multi-way pot, we almost always know exactly where we're at with those pocket pair hands. We've either either hit a set and we know we're great, or we've completely whiffed and know that we're behind. So I don't really care that much that we're out of position here when we've got a pocket pair on the small blind. That, that's how I've always viewed it i don't know if um you're thinking about some other factors that make you decide to three better fold but
5: I
6: think it's probably the point in the tournament and your stack size obviously we're talk if we're talking early in a tournament 100 big blinds yeah your opportunity to set mine as long as you can get in for less than ten percent of your stack your your opportunity to set mine is 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 worth the call mm-hmm um, I think as you get deeper into the tournament, then you might want to start thinking about it a little bit more because you're risking a lot more of your stack to do that set mining.
2: And what, what do you mean by stack sizes like that? Like how small of a stack size do you have to be before you start making those decisions?
6: Um, I suppose if you're 40 or less, depending uh, on the depending, dependent it's again, it's opponent dependent the people that are raising, what are they raising with? And are you willing to set mine um, 10% of your stack at that point in time to, uh, you know, to set mine, I guess. Yeah. How much of your stack are you willing to put into the pot when you're trying to set mine in that spot?
2: Yeah. I mean, me, me personally, um, and I don't mean to like, totally take over this conversation but like i don't think my decision um really changes until i've got like a 15 big blind stack at that point where i'm really like in the all in or shove mode like 2025 yeah i'm glad to throw in an extra two big blinds to see if i can flop a set versus three other opponents i just feel like the implied odds that i have there are so great
0: I, mean, I thought no, it's that's, that's good.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying with like playing tighter from the small blind, and it's something that I've noticed in my own game, and I've been really folding a lot more from the small blind. Mm. Uh, but I'm not folding my pocket pairs, so I haven't, I haven't considered it, and that's what, kind of why I wanted to bring up this spot because I I've only thought about it from the yeah I've got great implied odds I'm just going to keep doing it type of thing.
6: So here's, here's the thing. Next time we play, Taylor. <laughs> March 30th. If, if, if you come in in the small blind, everybody's going to know that you got a pocket pair in your hand.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I know. I gave it away now, too. There's other <laughs> <laughs> very,
1: very. That's
6: all you could possibly pretty. have. That's the only <laughs> thing you could have because he folds everything else. So or he, he's going to raise <laughs> if he's got a big pair.
1: I'll
2: do it with a few other select hands too, but I'm not going to tell you which one exactly. I mean, you'll definitely play perfectly versus me.
0: So, so Taylor, how does that, I know you, you, I hear a couple things happening and sorry to pick on you a little bit, but you mentioned earlier, you're trying to update your, your three betting ranges, which, in, which includes, I assume, you know, increasing your, the polarization. So your, your three bet bluffs, and your three bet value hands. And you mentioned maybe three bet value, uh, value betting with pocket tens later position. Um, you know, how, how do we kind of consider this is for the, I guess, for everybody, Taylor, you can or whoever, but you know, if we have, if we have aces in the small blind or big blind, and there's a bet and a call behind us, it's, you know, pretty, pretty good option that we're going to probably three bet that to try to get that heads up. Kings, probably Queens, maybe player dependent Jacks, who knows tens, you know, all the way down. Twos are probably just a call, you know, whatever, but how do we sort of think about should we be three betting our pairs versus just set mining? You know, we obviously talked about a chunk of it, but you know, at what rank do, are we saying we're going to three bet, you know, we're going to value bet this thing. What considerations do we go, go into play on? Should we be three bet value or should we three betting with Jack's or just set mining with Jack's Queens set mining with Queens? How do we decide which we should be doing? What do you guys think? What are those key, key drivers there? or are we always set mining, you know, early in a tournament and just hoping, even with queens, that we hit a queen or an overpair? You know, what? what? You know what, what's making that decision on, are you three betting or are you um, just calling out of the blinds?
6: It's probably the level of the tournament that you're in and the players
0: at the player pool. But let's say we're still early in the tournament, so the average stack's like 100 bigs. Yeah, is this a, a MSPT $1,100 buy-in? Uh, or is it a $30 Sunday morning running aces bingo fest? Well, you tell me what the difference is then. Tell me what the difference is.
6: Well, the difference is people are are not as experienced in the $30. So they're going to play a lot more um, wider. Yep. So you're going to be able to three bet for value much more often in that kind of tournament. And you're going to know pretty quickly where you are in a MSPT $1100 where you've got a whole bunch of very accomplished players you don't have too many soft spots in those tournaments right it's going to be very difficult to understand where you are in that type of scenario so it's it's a totally different scenario
0: so does that make you more prone to put a th- big 3 bet in with queens to try to just take it down right there out of position or does, it make you, a, does it make you more a, prone to to call and set mine? No, I'm I'm still going to three bet
6: my queens, but I'm not probably gonna uh, maybe three bet my jacks, but probably tens is where I'm going to start to look think about set mining.
0: Versus mm-hmm. in a in the thirty to, in the in the dirty thirty, at running aces, I, you might yeah. be more likely to three bet down to your nines or tens or something just because exactly. you're value. Exactly. value.
6: Exactly. I could I could three bet for value with eights or nines probably in the
0: $30 bingo fest. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, no, that's good. <laughs> okay, so you're looking at the the, the tournament and more more so the, the quality, if you will, or the experience level of the players. Yeah, the
9: experience. The experience of the player definitely makes a difference. And you're going to get four bet, I believe, less often in the $30 tournament. Correct. Don't see a ton of it. And you, when you do, you pretty much know it's aces or kings. Exactly. Whereas, where, where you're you're at a more experienced tournament. Somebody might yeah. be feeling you out and, you yeah. know, going to four, four bet you with, you know, with 9 10 suited just to see what your reaction is. Or I don't know. Hey, here comes
0: Wazwaz and Alex Mula and all, all these guys are going to
9: be four bet shoving with
0: jack nine, baby. Let's go. Exactly. Exactly. Now, putting the pressure yeah. on you. Okay. Yeah. Other well, that thoughts does on make that? a big difference. Oh, that's good. That's good thought, Rob. So experience level of the players. Uh, other thoughts on how do you play those middle to upper pairs out of the blinds?
4: I think part of it depends upon what your goal for your overall play style wants to be. If you can get to where and this is i think what taylor was alluding to with he's trying to widen his three betting range to give him more options to be able to three bet things and for people to have a more difficult time to play against him because if you end up let's say you four bet nothing but aces and everybody knows that that means whenever you four bet people know exactly what you have and they can play perfectly against you. And you're guaranteed to win the minimum and lose the maximum pretty much if people know that. So that's why it's important to not always play straightforward. That's why I always feel like I 3-bet and 4-bet way too little. But it is scary Mm
1: -hmm. to put a
4: 3-bet out there, especially once you start to get down into your less premium hands. And that's one of the reasons why um, Taylor was also mentioning the nonlinear range so that you can have some hands that are definitely based upon the quality of that hand. It's not worth the three bet or the four bet, but as an overall strategy, it makes sense and it protects the equity of your powerful hands because people can't always give you credit and it gives you an easy, you know, when someone then raises on top of you you've got an easy decision because you have a crap hand that you a relative crap hand that you three bet with and now you can throw it
0: yeah no i think that's exactly right you those 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 middling hands those are the ones you want to see flops with you want to realize your equity mm-hmm. in. if you don't feel like you have much equity against the four bet then those are easy folds if you have a ton of equity against four bets those are easy shipments
2: And does everyone understand when we say not in the near range?
0: Go go ahead and get, uh, give it your explanation, Taylor.
2: Yeah, so um, essentially, if you can rank all the possible hands that you have from zero to a hundred, where like do seven offsuit is zero and aces is a hundred, uh, we shouldn't have a three bet range that is straight from like a hundred to ninety, and then a calling range from ninety to seventy. Because uh, it allows our opponents to play really well against us. It strengthens our three betting range and weakens our calling range. But if instead of doing the 100 to 90 raise and then 90 to 70 call, if we make it 100 to 93 as a raise, as well as 70 to 73, and then put the 73 to 93 as a call, Um, we weaken our 3 betting range and strengthen our calling range, which makes it more difficult for our opponents to play against us because then we'll get more value from our premium hands and we'll also um, kind of strengthen what we're calling with.
6: Yeah, that was uh, when when Steve was doing his uh, pre-flop Experiment there in the podcast, uh, what about a year ago now? Almost it seems like. Yeah, uh, that's what we got talking about. We talked about that polarized range, where you have the the top part of your range, your three betting or opening, the bottom part of your range, your opening or three betting, and the middle part is where you're you're doing your calling against an open.
0: Yep. Yeah, that was super helpful for me to have you guys help me out with that that piece of it. Okay, good. And I think, um, you know, John Somsky said something. Oh, Eric's going to share something here. But uh, w- one quick comment. Um, uh, Somsky, you, you shared something too about what, what's your overall objective on things. And, and that's sort of uh, what I'm trying to do with my strategy is, you know, any individual piece of it can be challenged. And I, and I love it. And it, should, and it should be challenged. I think um, what I'm trying to do in my overall strategy is play a more low-variance game uh, just in general. I'm not afraid of taking the big spots, but I think I'm trying to play that lower variance game, which for me, when that comes to, um, you know, out of the blinds, when I have those middle, the, those tens, jacks, nines, even queens sometimes uh, early, in a, early in a tournament, I may opt to just flat there, just call uh, and see what transpires the rest of the hand more so than three betting in part, just because I believe that I want to play a more low variance style across the board. Uh, so that's another consideration for me. I think the biggest thing about that is as soon as you um, play a pretty big hand like tens, jacks, queens passively, uh, you have to recognize that you've played it passively and you've underrepresented your hand. And so you you may be setting yourself up to, to hero call a little bit or call and stay in the hand a little bit more than if you had uh, three bet and then more aggression was shown. So I think that's just a warning. Like your jacks are still going to be good a lot of the time if you just called out of the blinds, your jacks are still going to be good a lot of the times on a King 7-3 board. It doesn't mean you just have to give up. Eric, were you going to share something there with us? Can you hear me? I can. Hey. Uh, hey, Eric's is, Eric is in. He Yay. can talk.
8: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just trying to show that hand range analyzer. We were talking about a uh, polarized range. Um, I don't know if I can share it again.
0: It showed up for a second, but then we lost it. Let's try this. Uh starting. Oh. There you go. Yep.
8: But uh can you see my, my ma uh, mouse? Uh yes. Over on the uh,
0: underneath uh pokercoaching.com.
8: The way uh Jonathan Little explains it is you want a three uh on the pre-flop, you want a two to one bluff to value range. So this is way off i'm actually just the opposite if i want to value bet 26 percent, i want actually about uh 50 percent or more as a bluff and then as you go to the next street it goes one to one and then on the turn you're actually two parts value to one part bluff um so i'd actually want to change this and, and loosen, get these to more where it's a two to one.
0: So, so for folks that don't have the video, what Eric is clicking through right now uh, is a range analyzer, and I'd recommend going to YouTube to check this out. But basically, he can he can click on the hands that he wants to put in his range that he he's three betting for value, like aces, kings, queens, that ace king, that sort of thing, uh, and then check the hands that he's going to say, "I want these as three bets as a bluff," and then ones that he's going to three ones that he's just going to call. And so it kind of shows all the percentages so you can kind of get those ranges balanced accordingly. And Eric, you're saying that, that Jonathan Little is saying kind of two to one three-bet value versus three-bet bluff.
8: Yeah, pre-pre-flop. Okay. So this would be a better, better range to three-bet. You'd three-bet the red and the blue and just call on the greens. And I mean, you can also do it the other way where you have a a polarized range where you're you know you're doing something down here and not not doing your high cards so that we have more board coverage but uh personally i like to play my good my my big cards okay um, but i just thought I'd, this is the first time being able to talk i'm kind of nervous
0: yeah i know we finally got you we finally <laughs> got you after all these uh all these weeks of seeing you a little bit and just uh, hearing seeing you in the chat so yeah glad you're up and running there hey have you guys all um i guess we're getting close to time but i'm curious if Uh, How many of you have actually worked through that process of saying, uh, you know, here's my three bet range uh, and actually kind of worked through the process of even kind of this polarized, nonlinear sort of approach? You guys have have that worked through yet?
6: Somewhat. I've done it somewhat. Um, There are certain hands that I I look at as, boy, I really want to play this hand, but it's not really – in my calling or raising range and then i'll look at it and say okay well i could three bet this based on the opponents that we have not i don't i haven't written it all out
4: you know so i can
6: refer to it but there's this there's a sweet spot where i just kind of feel okay this is a this is a three-bet hand because if they raise i can easily fold it so, the determination is, okay, I look at a hand. This is a really neat hand. I really like to play this against that raise. Um, so, but I wouldn't call with it. It's not a hand that I would call with. So then I'll consider three betting it, knowing that I can get away from it if I'm four bet. And then there's that range of calling hands that you, you always you're always gonna call with. And that's what Taylor was kind of talking about some of those pair hands those uh, pocket pairs that you're going to call with and set mine and maybe some of those higher suited connectors like your jack 10 your 910 those types of hands you don't really want to get bet off of those hands you want to be able to see a flop with them but then you got those other marginal hands that are saying well you know this is kind of a good hand but if i get bet off of it it's not going to break my heart
0: yep
2: others I went Uh, through the process before of setting up a range of here's what I'm going to open, here's what I'm going to 3 bet, and what I'm going to do as a value versus bluff, etc. And I quickly moved away from it because every situation is different. Uh, Just before we were talking about, well, what if the open raiser is in this position versus that, that position? What if our stack sizes are this or that? Um, Those play so much into what you should be doing in each situation that you kind of realize that if you set up a starting point, it's okay, but that can't be like the set in stone things that you do. Um, in some instances, you're going to have to really widen your three betting range, which may feel uncomfortable if you're not used to widening your three betting range. And then there's other instances where you should really be tightening it, which doesn't feel as comfortable because I think majority of people really, uh, are happy with calling and not three bedding in certain spots. So I thought about it and quickly uh, stopped trying to plan something out in terms of my ranges for various spots.
9: Yeah, I'm kind of similar. I was thinking about that when you asked it, Steve. I I think mine is about 70% situational where I'm actually sitting at the table now. And this is since we started talking because three, four months ago, I wasn't three betting except my premium hands. And now I'm kind of looking at each player when I sit down and I'm kind of watching, kind of looking around for situations where, yeah, that guy – if I get to see his cards at the end, he raised and he he ended up showing some hand at the end. I'm like, okay, keep him in mind. And then look for a situation later. And there's a a few other people's I go, okay, you know, I think I can, I think I got an advantage post flop on this guy. So if he does call my three bet, I still got a chance to pull down even more money. So that's kind of more my thought right now is I still don't do it a lot, but I'm thinking about it a whole lot more than I used to. Thanks to our, our discussions. Yeah. I feel kind of the
0: same way. Like, I mean, I went through a lot of work and you guys are all a part of that process and I still use those opening ranges quite a bit, uh, but I am more flexible with them depending on situation. But I do think what, what helped a lot is just what kind of working through that exercise of formulizing my nonlinear ranges, you know, my, my polarized ranges and just, just thinking that through and being challenged by you guys and other people to kind of think about how I think about three bedding. Um, just sort of ingrained that concept in my head of this um, boy. If I have some equity in the hand, I don't want to. I don't want to lose that equity, and I think that's applied to the three betting. It's applied to C betting. It's applied to a lot of different things. So I think for me, because I'm an analytic, I think I needed to kind of work through the details of it all t- in order to get the to the concept that I can now carry into the game. I think for some people, they can just kind of understand this concept uh, and just kind of go with it, and never have to get specific. But uh, that that um, that process has really solidified some things for me. Even though I still would love to find the magic formula, <laughs> I just don't think there is <laughs> there is one. Harry
6: Potter has a wand that he uses, you know. Yeah, there is no magic wand. You don't. You don't have my, the only person that has white magic is Phil Helm. Phil Hellman. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, you know, as somebody who likes, I like to have the concepts and the principles down. Uh, so for me, that's where it's super helpful to kind of work work through all
9: the details of that to get that principle embedded in my head. But then Jonathan Little tease you about trying to make the game simple. So. I know, he, and he does that, right? Yeah, Everybody
0: he did. Does that. <laughs> Every time I try to make the game simple, he says, oh, you're trying to make the game too simple. Right. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Yep,
4: <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> well, you know, in the end, I don't think you can really – learn how to play the game you learn how to think about playing the game oh it's really dropping the wisdom well i mean love it it's not a rote thing it's it's like taylor said there are so many situations so many variables you have to think about how to evaluate and weigh those variables and i know enough to know that i'm not very good at that
0: (laughs) Mm, come on john and we all know that you're humble enough to say exactly that too um I think for me as as you know you mentioned that too and I think that's the that's the holy grail for me that's the the quest that I'm on and the kind of all these people that we've been interviewing and talking through is okay I understand that that everything is situational everything depends you know you talk to fox everything depends jonathan everything depends right depends on what that's that's what I'm still trying to get at and I think little by little I'm starting to understand position and stack size and player type and all of those things but that's kind of the the holy grail for me is Okay, I'm in a situation. What should I do? Well, it depends, okay, it depends on what like what are those key things I should really be paying the most attention to because I still think I expend uh too much mental energy on things that aren't the priority uh and that's where I want to be able to get into situations and kind of i maybe immediately don't know what to do, but I immediately know what things I should be considering to me. that is the holy grail for taking my game to the next level
8: and, and that's why you want to work out your ranges because if you have them worked out, it clears up the, that thinking process. So you can look for tails, look for stack sizes. If you already know that you're going to play eights or better than ace queen, then you don't have to think about it. You have time to think about something else.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's right. Especially for opening hand ranges for me anyway. Uh, that's been a huge uh, energy saver for me is just to know I'm in this position early in the tournament. Here's what I'm going to play. Here's what I'm not going to play. And I don't really think about it anymore. And I think that has preserving that mental energy to focus on other things has helped me immensely because I know myself and my limitations of my mental energy uh, that I can expend.
4: And at some point you get to a point where certain things just become reflex. Like when you're playing baseball, you no longer think about, okay, I need to move my glove up here to catch the ball. You just see it. You see how it's coming and you know where you're hand has to be in order to catch the ball and so that your brain can then be thinking of okay once I get it where am I going to throw it next and it's the same thing in poker the more things you can get to where you don't have to think to yourself you know that guy looks kind of weak you just sense it or you think this is a great three betting spot or squeeze spot because you've thought through it dozens of times before so it just starts to happen Unfortunately, that doesn't happen as often as we would like. Right.
0: But I think if we were all to look back on our game, I think we all have those, those things now that, are, that come naturally that before we just didn't really process or we had to really think about for sure. Well, good stuff. Anything else that anybody wants to add here as we, we wrap up? Good discussion as always. All right. I'm seeing some heads shaking some eyes closing. So I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there as always. Thanks guys, man. I love, love the conversations and we'll, uh, we'll chat next week. If you have any ideas for, uh, for next week's topics, uh, just shoot them off and we'll, we'll send them out. All right, well, thank you once again for joining us for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. Uh, Join us next week as we continue on with our our interviews uh, with some great uh, players and we discuss some specific hand breakdowns. But until then, uh, good luck on and off the film.